It is a joy to be here. I had the opportunity this past week to take a little bit of vacation, and so I am excited to be here today. I didn't get a lot of rest, but I got one of the best things that could ever happen this week, and that was to spend quality time with my children and my my wife. Ain't nothing better than spending time with the Lord and spending time with family. And so it is a joy to be here today and to share with you what the Lord's put on my heart. I want to continue for those who are members here just to remind you and and to share with you that we are in the process of a seven-month Joshua budget. And last week we took up the pledge cards and we shared that if you did not know, if the Lord had not put on your heart for you to take that and keep it and for you to fill that out whenever the Lord puts on your heart without any signature. And so you can place that in the offering at any time and we will continue to add to uh, what the Lord is showing us that has been pledged in order to pay off um, the rest of the facility. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin this morning. God, you're so good. God, I can't get past the fact that, that you love me so much. And each person in this room, Lord, that you would go to the cross so that each of us may have life. Lord, that our debts would be paid when we surrender our life to you. And so, God, we praise your holy name. God, I pray this morning that the preaching and teaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom. Lord, I pray that our faith would rest on you and you alone. Lord, that you would be the one who speaks this morning. Remove me out of the way and let me sit on the front row and just watch as you speak. Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we give you all glory. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. So last week I asked you this question. I said, do you want to be like Christ? God called us to be like Jesus. And we walked through about how we are called to serve as Jesus served. And at the very end of the message last week, I I made a comment about Peter. And we just sang about Peter. Right? The the song was just about the life of Peter. And, And Peter said, Lord, I'll go anywhere. I'll die for you. And he said, hey, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter spoke and, and, and gave a talk. He shared, hey, I will do this for you, Lord. But his actions did not prove that as we know that within literally a few hours later, he was denying Christ three different times. The rooster crows and obviously we see repentance. We see him just a, a broken and contrite heart as it says in Psalms 51 as David is writing and saying, Lord, what you want is a broken and a contrite heart. And so that's what I give to you, O Lord. And I shared with you one of the most incredible statements in the scriptures when it said, Jesus, after he had risen from the grave, he said, go and tell the disciples and Peter that I am risen, that I'm alive. That was just an incredible sign of of grace, of mercy, that Jesus is speaking and saying, hey, I know that he denied me three times. I know that he didn't follow through with what he said. But I love Peter that much. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I think we can stop right there. All of us can relate to that in our own lives. 
How many times do we feel like, man, I, I just blew it. Man, I, I, I operated in the flesh. Man, I, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And all of a sudden, we realize, hey, in some sense, we have we've fallen, we've, we've, we've sinned. And God says, hey, I love you. Go and tell the disciples and David. Go and tell the disciples and put your name in there. That's the grace of God. But something happens in Peter's life. Something major happens in Peter's life. Here he is denying Christ. He's speaking something but not following through his actions. And I shared with you last week, don't say that you want to be like Christ. Be like Christ. Like, don't let it just be a word out of your mouth, but let it be what you really are. Go and live it out. I tell people one of the phrases that, that, man, this is so deep in me. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Say what you mean, mean what you say. If you say you're going to do something, go do it. If you say you're going to be like Christ, let's let that action go forth and let's go serve as Christ served. But something happened to Peter. You see in the book of Acts that all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And guess who it is that steps up to speak at Pentecost? Peter. And Peter says, hey, it's Jesus who you crucified. He paid it all for you. We see 3,000 come to faith. And then what happens to Peter? He goes forth and he proclaims to the multitude. He goes forth and he's thrown in prison. We see him go through suffering and trials, but he doesn't deny Christ. His actions begin to show who he is. And we see a bold transformation in Peter's life. Jesus, in chapter 13 of John, as we taught last week, speaks to them and he says, Peter, you're going to deny me. But then in verse chapter 14, which is where I want you to turn today, in John chapter 14 and John chapter 15, Jesus speaks of what's about to happen in Peter's life. He begins to, to, to explain what's going to take place. And I want you to start in John 14, and we're going to do 15 through 17, then we're going to jump to chapter 15. In John chapter 15, or 14, verses 15 through 17, it says this. Now remember, Jesus is still talking, and this is one of the last messages that he gives to his disciples. He just said, serve as I serve. I want you to wash the feet even of Judas. Serve as I served and love as I love. And then he says in verse 15, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. The word another there actually means of the same kind. The Holy Spirit. We know that in the scripture later on. But it says that I will bring you another helper He will give you another helper and that he may be with you forever. Now I want you to see verse 17. This is powerful stuff here. It says, That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him, and look at this, or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. So what do we see here in the scripture? We see two things. Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to go away and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to come. The world, number one, the world will not, they they won't know him. They don't know him. And so he's not in them. 
But he said, you who know him and know me and abide in me, the Holy Spirit will dwell in and abide in him. We see here that we must know Christ. Y'all remember a couple weeks ago we talked about the mission, the vision of Luke 4.18. I gave you four words. That we are to know, to grow, to show, and to go. We must know Christ. When we know Christ, He abides in us. He abides in us. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. One of my favorite things is Acts 19. When Paul goes to Ephesus and and all of a sudden there's a few that get saved and they go off and he teaches them and he trains them and then he sends them back and and, and Ephesus is where the, the temple of Artemis was. And in the book of Ephesus or Ephesians, excuse me, in the book of Ephesians he's pinning to these new believers that he had poured into that he had eventually left to continue on and he's pinning to them and he says, hey listen, the Holy Spirit, Christ lives in you. Why do they need to know that? Because everybody would see this great temple of Artemis and they'd say, well, where, where's your God? Well, he doesn't live in a temple made of hands. He lives inside of us. This is what's happened to Peter. Peter now in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes upon him and look at what takes place. Acts 1.8 says that you'll receive power. He goes out with power. And it's all about abiding in Christ. Look in John chapter 15. Verse 1, it says, I am the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. Can I stop there for just a second? I, if, if you feel comfortable underlining or circling in your Bible, will you circle the word true? Will you circle the word true there? Let me tell you why. If, if he is the true vine, that means there's false vines out there. If Jesus is the true vine, there's other things in our life that will say, hey, abide in me and you'll find happiness. Hey, abide in me and you'll find, uh, some things even say salvation. Look at false religions out there. Come and be a part of this false religion and you will find your way to heaven. No, Jesus says, I am the true vine. It's me, no other. I am. I am the true vine, and the Father is the vine dresser. Each branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and and, and gathered them. They gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. And skip down to verse 11. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be filled. Today I want to ask you this question, what does it mean to abide? What does it mean to abide in Christ? We see Peter in John 14, Jesus is saying, hey listen, the Holy Spirit's going to abide in you. In John 15, he says, I am the true vine, abide in me. What does it mean to abide? The Greek word there means to remain, to abide, or to stay. It's very simple. 
to remain, to abide, or to stay. One pastor puts it this way, and I want, I want us to really zone in on this definition. He says, hour by hour abiding in Christ is hour by hour trusting Him to meet all of your needs. Let me say it again. Hour by hour abiding in Christ is hour by hour trusting Him to fulfill and meet all your needs. Now, as we go throughout this morning, I want that to be what continually comes back to your mind. Like when when we abide in Christ, we're trusting Him to be our all in all. Every bit of who we are, everything that we need is Him. See, too often in life, we say, God, you can have everything but. Lord, I'm just uncomfortable giving you this. You're not abiding. If we are holding things back, from Christ, then we're not fully abiding in Him. We have to trust Him for our food every day. I know that sometimes we trust our refrigerator, but we've got to trust that God is the one who gives our every need. We've got to trust Him for oxygen. We've got to trust Him for the clothes that we're wearing. We've got to trust Him for shelter. We've got to trust Him in our sickness and in our suffering. We gotta trust him in our finances. We gotta trust him in our job. We gotta trust him in every area of our life for us to be abiding in him. So often we want to have processes and plans in our life to get ahead. We want to do this, do that, do this, and then we'll be all okay. What we really just need to do is abide in Christ. We really just gotta abide in Christ. I have learned that when I try to hold back and keep my life safe, I'm in the worst place I can be. But when I abide in Christ, I'm in one of the most glorious and joyful places I could ever be. I didn't say that it was like, it it is the safest in Christ, but in this world there's going to be suffering and pain and all these different things. But the joy will never be stolen because God is enough. He's enough for me. He's all I need. Nothing else will satisfy. We must abide hour by hour, moment by moment, trusting God to meet all of our needs and for Him to be our treasure. So when we abide in Christ, the true vine, there's four things I want to show you today. Number one, we will bear fruit. I didn't say we might bear fruit. I didn't say sometimes you'll bear fruit. I didn't say that, that if you're like a super Christian, you'll bear fruit and nobody else will. I didn't say pastors only will bear fruit. No, we will bear fruit. If you abide in Christ, you will bear fruit. There's no other way around it. You will. Look at verse, chapter four, or verse 4 of 15. It says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides and I in him, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. He bears much fruit. When we abide in Christ and we trust in him completely for everything that we need, we will bear fruit. 
When a branch is connected to the vine, the nutrients come forth from the vine into the branches, and guess what happens? It bears fruit. You say, David, what are the fruit? Well, it tells us in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and on, it says, But the fruit, singular fruit, not fruits, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So what we see here is that the only way, listen to me, to, to me church, the body of Christ, the only way for you to have love and peace and gentleness to come forth from your life is for you to abide in Christ. Now you can create some type of fabricated, fabricated form of patience, but it's not true patience unless you are abiding in Christ. Why? Because it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's an offspring of what takes place while you are abiding and trusting in Christ. When we abide in Him, we see self-control come forth from our life. We see gentleness come forth from our life. It's not that we produced it. It's that the Holy Spirit produced it through us. But what does it say? It says, apart from Him, you can do nothing. In verse 4, it says, abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot, cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in me or abides in the vine. In Galatians chapter 5, if you go back some in verse 19, it says this. It says, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. You know what's interesting there? Is that it doesn't say the fruit of the flesh. Oh no, it says the deeds of the flesh. See, fruit is something that's produced by being connected to the vine. Deeds are what takes place in our lives because we're spiritually dead. And so it says, the deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurities, sensualities, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissension, factions, envy and drunkenness, carousing, and things like these I forewarned you, just as I, as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. These are the deeds when we are away from the vine. When we are not connected to the vine, this will naturally come forth from our life as deeds of the flesh. It says we can do nothing unless we are abiding in Christ. The second thing I want you to see, and this is in in verse 2, is that the Father prunes those who bear fruit. The Father prunes those who bear fruit. In verse 2, it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Now, I don't know about y'all, but, but um, I've seen uh, and, and heard about master gardeners where they go into an area and they, they look at these plants and they begin to basically cut them down to much of nothing. But what they're doing in that moment is removing the things that are taking up some of the nutrients in order for the nutrients to go to the areas that it's supposed to go 
so that it would grow into something beautiful. Do you know that God does that in our lives? That he prunes us? Now, many of us think immediately to suffering. Many of us think immediately to persecution, and that's part of it. Have you ever walked through suffering? Have you ever walked through persecution that the Holy Spirit was teaching and showing you areas in your life for you to grow in? Look at what it says in the book of, uh, of James chapter 1. In James chapter 1, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Wait, hold up. Like, joy? Excitement? Yeah, because you realize the end game. It's not that, that you're like super excited that you're walking through a painful event. It's that you're excited and have joy because you know that Jesus, that God is with you through it all and that he is your provider. And that he's teaching and growing us through this. It says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. And it says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. It produces endurance. It begins to, to teach us and, and to, to show us. It, it let, let that endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When we are walking through suffering, when we are walking through painful events in our life, the Lord is allowing us to be pruned in order for when people to see us that they see that beautiful, beautiful fruit of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Romans, chapter 5, it discusses this again. And it says this, And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that the tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We see that as we walk through painful and and difficult trials in our life, that God is allowing us to to go through a pruning time in order for us to be more focused on a one desire, which is Jesus Christ. I think of a racehorse. You know, they they put blinders on a racehorse. Have you ever seen them? And they're not blinding them to go straight forward. They're blinding them from the distractions to the left and the distractions to the right. They get their focus on one thing. That's the finish line. That's the race that's ahead of them. It keeps them moving forward. That's what God does in our life. When we abide in Him, He allows us to go through areas of our life that He's pruning us to keep our eyes focused solely on Him, our one desire. But you know, it's not just suffering. It's not just painful events in our life where God's pruning us. I was talking to a man just this past week. And I asked him what he did for a living, and he shared with me that he uh, worked in a financial uh, organization, and he helped with portfolios, and he said some words that were way over my head. And I thought to myself right then, I said, man, there was a time in my life where I had a desire to go into business. I was at Troy University getting a finance, uh, marketing, and, uh, marketing degree, and I had taken a lot of finance classes, and I had focused in, I thought that I was going to go into the business world. I had such a desire and a hunger for it. But the Lord began to prune that desire in my life to make that desire, not about pastoring, but to make that desire about Christ. He began to prune the desires of myself to allow my desires to be focused in on His desires. And then He called me into the ministry. When He called me into the ministry, because He had pruned some of those areas in my life, all I could focus in on what He was calling me to do. And I said, okay, Lord, here am I, send me. It wasn't that simple. It wasn't that easy for me to say yes. 
But ultimately, God had been doing a pruning process in my life so that I could have one desire, which was Jesus Christ and Christ alone. He removes the pieces that take away nutrients from the branches so that we grow accordingly as he has called us to grow. I think of crepe myrtles. How many of y'all have crepe myrtles at your house? Anybody? You know, the first time we had crepe myrtles, I've never had crepe myrtles growing up, and my wife wanted a crepe myrtle tree, so we planted one at our house. And all of a sudden, after winter came, she said, hey, we got to prune it. I was like, okay. And when she like, went out there to cut it and prune it, I was like, there's nothing left of the tree. I was like, what in the world? I was very thankful to know that there's other people who have crepe myrtle trees and that they were like way cut back too. But then come spring, man, those things shot up. I was like, whoa. She goes, yeah, if I wouldn't have done that, you wouldn't have seen this. Isn't that what God does in our life? Isn't that what he's doing in our life when we are abiding completely in him? But let me just tell you something. When you're going through difficult times, when you're going through pruning in your life, you better be trusting him completely. Your focus has to be on him and him alone. It has to be on Christ. God took away desires in my life to give me the sole desire to let people know about the one who saved my life. Third thing I want you to see, first, we see that, that we bear fruit. The second thing that we see is that God prunes those. And by the way, what, what is pruning? It makes that fruit even more and more beautiful. People who bring fruit and, and pass it out to people, man, some of those are just incredible, like just amazing fruits because they've been pruned over year after year and it allows that fruit just to be so amazing. The third thing is that we do the work of the Father. We do the work of the Father. When we're abiding in Christ, our desire is to do His work and His work alone. Look back in John 14, in verse 10 through 12, it says this. It says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, do you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative. Jesus is speaking this. But the Father abiding in me does his work the father abiding in me does his work he says in verse 11 believe me that i am in the father and the father's in me otherwise believe because of the works themselves truly truly i say to you he who believes in me the works that i do he will also do and greater works than these he will do because i go to the father he says, hey, the Holy Spirit's coming. What I'm doing, I'm doing because of the Father who abides in me. But those of you, the Holy Spirit's coming, you're going to do even more works than this. You say, David, does, does, does God still heal? Brother Fred just talked about that. Look at the work of the Holy Spirit. I didn't do that. And the guy who prayed for me, Chad, didn't do that. It was the Holy Spirit through him, the work of the Father. Seven and a half years, medicine-free, symptom-free for the glory of God. God has called us to abide in Him and to do the work of the Father. What's the work of the Father? It's to bring glory to the name of Jesus. It's to share the name of Christ to this nation for people and, and the world, excuse me. And, and it's for people to hear 
the salvation, understanding of Christ, that he died for us, that we may be saved. It's to bring glory to the name of Jesus. It even speaks that in John 15. Verse 26, it says, When the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who um, proceeds from the Father, he will testify about who? He'll testify about me. He says, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to dwell inside of you, and he's going to testify. He's going to bring glory to the name of Jesus. He's going to testify about Jesus. As we abide in Christ, we do the work of the Father. And as we do the work of the Father, we are bringing glory to the name of Jesus. By the way we live our lives, by the fruit that comes forth from our life. And then the fourth thing I want you to see in abiding in Christ is this. In verse 11 it says this. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Can I just tell you something? Nobody can steal your joy. Nobody can steal it. You can let somebody take it from you. You can lose your focus. But God says, Jesus says in in John 15, He says, I speak all these things. Abide in me and your joy will be made full. It doesn't say you're going to, your happiness, which is a happenstance, which is a moment in time. It says your joy will be made full. Why is our joy made full when we abide in Christ? Our joy is made full when we abide in Christ because He is all that we need. We know that no matter what circumstance, no matter what situation, no matter what we go through, we have joy because the promises of God and and that He will never leave us nor forsake us. He's our provider. He's our protector. He's our all in all. So we have joy amidst every situation that we walk through in life. Because we abide in Him. You know, I uh, had the opportunity uh, not too long ago to go to a theme park with my daughter and son. And as they walked into the theme park, the first thing they did was they saw this little, uh, this, this area over here that they wanted to run to. They were like, oh, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. And like they could not get past that area. Their eyes were like, this is what, this is what I want, this is, this is it. Like that's all they could see. But see, mom and dad had the map. And not only that, but we knew the wait times. Mom and dad knew that if we would go this route, that she and Emmy and Sam would get to do way more and that they would get to enjoy more of this park. But if they lost their focus, they were going to be standing in line almost half the day over here. But that's all they saw. But isn't that what it's like with our life with Christ? How often do we get focused in on one little thing and we miss that God's saying, hey, I have a perfect plan for you, David. Keep your eyes focused on me. I see the big picture. I've got the map, David. I hold the whole world in my hands. I know your future. I know what's going to take place. So follow me. Don't get distracted to the left. Don't get distracted to the right, but instead follow me and your joy will be made full. But so often, instead of abiding in Christ, 
and allowing the fruit to come forth from us. We get distracted and we say, I'm going to go over here because I'm going to find happiness over here. And what do we find? According to the scripture, when sin enters in, it's death and destruction. It's pain. It's hurt. And Jesus is saying, follow me, abide in me, trust in me. Abiding in me hour by hour is trusting in me hour by hour to bring about your every need to be your provider. So we see in the scripture that we'll do the work of the Father, that our joy will be made full, that we'll walk through pruning so that we'll bear more fruit and that we will bear fruit. But the scripture also tells us, if you go back to John 14, it also tells us that the world does not know him. In John 14, I shared this, verse 17, it says this, and it's going to be up on the screens, it says this, it says that it, that is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not know or does not see him or know him. The world cannot bear fruit, why? It doesn't know him. It says right below that, but you know him. It doesn't say that you know about him. Listen, there's a major difference in church. I just, I've got to say this. There is a major difference between knowing about Christ and surrendering your life to him and truly knowing Christ. You know what the difference is? One is dead and one's alive. Let me just say it again. One is dead. You can talk a great talk, but when you stand before God at the day of judgment, are you really going to say, God, I knew all about you? He says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. Let me ask you this question. Do you know God personally? Have you surrendered your life, your will, your plans to God and said, God, I want you to be the Lord and the Savior of my life. To where you know him personally. Because if you're sitting here saying, hey, 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 David, you know, I know about him. The scripture tells us right there, the world does not know him. And when you don't know him, John 15, 4 says, there will be no fruit in you. It says you can do nothing. You can talk a good game. You can act like you've got the fruit of the Spirit. You can say that, that you know Christ and that you're a Christian, but you're going to live this way and that way. You can practice sin all day long and say you know Him, but do you really know Christ? Because if you know Him, guess what? You won't be practicing sin. You will produce fruit. You will produce fruit. It says the world does not know Him. The world will not bear fruit. And then I want to read this to you in verse 6. And this is what happens to the world. The people who say, hey, I'm a Christian, but they practice sin. Hey, hey, I'm a believer in Jesus, but I know a better way. Hey, God, I got this all taken care of. I'm going to walk my way. I know how to find happiness. Lord, your way wasn't, wasn't really giving me happiness. It was a lot of rules and regulations. I can't handle all that. Lord, I got it all covered. Don't worry about it. But, but I, want, I want to go to heaven. I want fire insurance. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that I'm a Christian. I'm going to tell people that I know you, but I really don't. Let me tell you what it says in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in him, if anybody doesn't know Christ, if anybody has not surrendered their life to Christ, it says he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. 
And they gather them, and they cast them in the fire, and they are burned. Church, let me ask you this question. Do you know him? Are you abiding in Christ every day? Do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? If you do, there is fruit that is coming forth from your life. If you don't know him, it says in the scripture that they will be gathered up and they'll be cast into the fire. Many people ask me all the time, they say, David, I just... I don't understand. Is, is, hell, is hell a real place? Yeah, and I, I, don't, I don't enjoy preaching on it. Can I just be honest with you? You know why I don't pre- enjoy preaching on it? Because it breaks my heart to know that a single person would go there. But I have to preach on it. It wasn't designed for us. It wasn't designed for people. But what happened is, is in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of man. And because of our sinful nature, unless we have accepted Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, surrendered our, surrendered our life to Him and abide in Christ, it says that we'll be gathered up and thrown into the fire. In 1 John chapter 5, I want to close with this. It says this in chapter 5, verses 10 and on. It says, The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in Him. Those who believe in Christ know Him personally. They have the testimony of Jesus Christ in them, living out in them. The one who does not believe in God has made Him a liar. They say, yeah, I know Him, but there's no fruit. Yeah, I know Him, but they practice sin. Remember, practice is a continual Doing a continual process. You, you are practicing. You are all, you're continually doing it. The one who does not know God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. In verse 11 it says, And the testimony is this, that God has given, given us eternal life, and this life is in the son, in his son. He who has the son has life. He who knows Him, He who abides in Him, He has life. That God has given us eternal life, and this life is in the Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. All they have is the deeds of the flesh. In verse 13, These things I have written to you that you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know. How do you know that you're abiding in Him and that fruit is coming forth from your life? Here in just a moment, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper. For believers in this place, this is a joyous, incredible time. You know why? Because as we abide in Christ, the way that that was made available for us was by the sacrifice that was paid on the cross by Jesus Christ. He went to the cross and three days later he rose again, praise God, taking our shame, taking our sin and paying the price with his blood. This morning, as we take of the Lord's Supper, we rejoice together as members of the body of Christ. Why? Because we can abide in Him. In John 14, it said, hey, I'm going to prepare you a place. But until I come again, I'm sending you the Helper. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. And then he, says, he talks about in, in, this, in the Lord's Supper, he says, remember 
until I come again. Continue to do this in remembrance of me until I come again. Remember what it took that you may abide in him. This is a very, very powerful moment. And the scriptures even says, search yourself before you take of the Lord's Supper. I take that very seriously. I take all the scripture very seriously. I'll never forget a Sunday morning about seven years ago. Somebody passed by me in the lobby and they said, hey, have you, have you listened to something that I, that, I, that I asked you to listen to? And out of my mouth, I said, yeah. And as soon as they walked past, I was like, wait, I hadn't listened to that. I had just, without realizing it, said something that wasn't truthful. I get into service and, man, I am just like asking the Lord to forgive me and asking the Lord to take, I was just, I was, I was just broken. Well, that day, Brother Fred passed out communion. And I said, you know, until I go and seek my brother's forgiveness, I'm not going to take. So I held it in my hand. And as soon as service was over, I walked down front and I found that brother. And I said, listen, you asked me earlier if if I had listened to those tapes. And I said, yes, but that was a lie. I don't know why it came out of my mouth that way, but it did. And I said, will you forgive me? My brother, who's even in here this morning, looked at me and said, I forgive you. And I said, I want to take of the Lord's Supper together with you at this moment. As we take of the Lord's Supper, may we continually focus in on our one desire, which is Jesus Christ. May we be abiding in Him. Remember, abiding means hour by hour, trusting God to provide your every need. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And when we take of this here in just a few minutes, as we take of the Lord's Supper, we are remembering what it took and we're remembering that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that he is with us through it all, through it all.